I am so thankful to be a part of a church that we have people that can sing and dance because I can do neither. You ought to be grateful for that too. Those women have worked hard. I know they have for several weeks on preparing that. And I have to be honest, Wanda asked me at the the beginning of service, she said, did you know, did you put this message together, the title together based on what we were doing? And I said, no. And if I can be honest for a second, I didn't even know the name of the song they were doing. How is that possible? I live in a home with a a lady that was a part of it and I just, I had no idea. Uh, But I did tell Miss Wanda that this was something, this this series of messages that we're going to begin today is something that I felt led to do months ago as I began to kind of pray over, pray about what God would have me to teach on over the the series of of Sundays that I would be here uh, on Sunday mornings and right around Thanksgiving, just just the timing of everything, this is where this series of messages kind of fell. And and talking about being blessed, talking about being blessed and and being thankful as we're nearing Thanksgiving and, and the Christmas season. And so that's what we're going to be talking about not just this morning, but over the next couple of Sundays. Now, next Sunday we have uh, the Lord's Supper. We will be uh, participating in that next Sunday morning. And, and I hope that we're going to be able to do that in a different, unique way next Sunday. Uh, in a way that I've never experienced, but I've heard about and, and we've discussed as deacons and, and Mark and I have discussed and, and doing participating in the Lord's Supper in this way. So I'm excited about that. It's going to be a great time. Before I go any further, though, I just want you to know, as your youth pastor, I did not do it. Alright? Whatever you've heard today, I did not do it. Alright? The youth will vouch for me. I was here the entire time. I never left. Well, I did leave and I came back. But I was here the most part of the time Friday. We had a great time. We got some crazy adults in this church, okay? I mean crazy adults. I might have had a little bit of something uh, to do with that, but uh, I appreciate all the adults that helped us Friday night. For those of you that don't know, if you've been out in the fellowship hall, you saw these little uh, men. They're called garden gnomes. I bought a couple of Clemson and a couple of Carolina garden gnomes, and I contacted a couple of people here in the church, uh, Legan and Daryl and... uh, Several other people uh, within the church, uh, Jared and, and, and his family hid one for us, and uh, Scott and Melanie hid one. I'm trying to make sure I cover everybody and make sure we get everybody covered. Um, who am I forgetting? Rusty and Rusty and Ricky, that's right. Rusty and Ricky Cater hid one, and so uh, Steve and Karen Trammell, they had one at their house. And so basically I brought the youth here Friday night, Told them, hey, there's a garden gnome hit at this address. You need to go find it. Uh, I told the homeowners they were coming. So the whole purpose was for them to get caught. All right. Uh, now what they did with them and how they caught them, that was <laughs> that was on them. All right. Uh, there there might or might not have been a gun involved. They didn't shoot. Just scared them. Okay. Just scared them. That's all. Didn't shoot at them. They just scared them. There might have been a gorilla suit involved. Um, there might have been a Candace was hiding in Jared's forestry truck, and one of the girls jumped up on the forestry truck and opened the door. And when she did, Candace was in there. 
and she hit the air horn. So, so that one that one was pretty good. Uh, the reason why I was not here for a brief moment was we hid one at Scott and Melanie's house. Well, Scott and Melanie were driving for me, so the the girls that were going to their house knew, well, hey, if we're going to their house, they're not home. So I thought, well, I will go and I will scare them. So I took the chain off of my chainsaw, had my camo, and I hid my car. And as I was walking across the road, Kim was driving that group. Here comes Kim. And I just knew they saw me, so I just took off running. And I knew, I thought then, I'm running up their driveway. I'm going, man, if a neighbor sees me. Camo and a chainsaw, I've got some answers, right? I've got, I got some answering to do. And so uh, little did I know they didn't see me. But guess what? I didn't see them either. I didn't have time to even think. I just hid behind the building. Next thing I know, they're pulling off and they're gone. They've got the garden on. <laughs> All that worked for nothing. All that worked for nothing. We had a good time. Uh, they're still talking about it tonight. We're actually gonna we're gonna take all the pictures and videos. They had to take the garden gnome around town, and the garden gnome had to do different things and had to take pictures of it. And so we're gonna put all that together tonight. We're gonna watch that. So uh, if you've got your phone with you today, I need that after service so I can pull them off onto my computer so we can do that tonight. But had a great time. Uh, the kids are still talking about it. They're gonna continue to talk about it. Our adults, I think, had more fun. Then, then Daryl Bibb told me this morning he had more fun scaring them than I think the kids had. He had a black, he had to go down and pull his kids out of the truck. They just said, forget it, we're going back to the truck. They didn't even get the garden on. He had to go down there and tell them, hey, this is where it's at. And he had a trail camera on a tree, and he said, it's behind, if you're looking at the tree, it's behind you. Well, as soon as they looked at the tree, the trail camera shot off, flash, scared them again. They found the garden on, though. He, he had a good time. Uh, he was chasing them so hard that he fell and slid down his driveway, but he had a good time. It didn't hurt him, but he had a good time. And so uh, thankful for everybody that participated in that. Uh, I was here cooking, all right? That's what I was doing after I got back from failing to scare him with my chainsaw. So uh, we are blessed. You know, we, we, if you think about it, uh, we, we use that term a lot of times very loosely. That term, blessed. You're going to go throughout a week and you're going to have many, many, many conversations with people and at some point or another, that term is going to be used. I've gotten, I don't know that I was ever in this habit, but it was brought to my attention several years ago about using that term and the way that we use that term. A lot of times when someone asks how you're doing or hey, how is how is this going or uh, how is this thing going in your life? We just simply say, well, well, I'm blessed. Right? I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. Right? But really, a lot of times, that's just a cop-out to keep from having a conversation. Right? And, and a lot of times, when someone asks how we're doing, we say, oh, we're, we're blessed. Are you really? Are you really? So, there's nothing negative or bad going on in your life. You, you understand what I'm saying? A lot of times we, we do that. We tell people we're blessed when really we've got things on our heart, on our shoulders that we just need to share, that we just need to tell somebody about. And instead we just go, well, I'm, I'm blessed. Now, not everybody 
wants to carry on that conversation with you. But there are people that when they ask you truly, how are you doing, they want to know. They don't want to just hear that you're blessed. They, they want to know. And, and, and a lot of times, to my own fault, I, I do that. I go by and I ask somebody, hey, how are you doing? And it's just in passing. I'm rushing. I'm in a hurry. And so I, I, I consciously, at times, try to make myself, force myself, hey, if I'm going to ask somebody how they're doing, I really want to know how they're doing. But we use that term blessed so loosely. And then a lot of times we define blessed by the way the world has defined blessed. And what I want to show us today is in Matthew chapter 5 how, you know what, there are just some things in life they, they have not changed. They have not changed. This whole term being blessed was viewed in the same light in the same way that blessed is viewed today by the outside world. And the fact that they viewed blessings, they viewed being blessed by your social status. By your wealth. By your position. That's how they determined whether you were blessed or not. In fact, there are times when Jesus is teaching and the Pharisees are believe, the Pharisees believed that, that if you were accursed, right, or, or you were, were in sin, there was a reason why that, that negative, that bad thing had happened to you because you had sinned. And, and Jesus comes in and he just, he completely just does a 180 and, and begins to transform their minds in shifting their thought process and believing that, that being blessed is not by what you own or what you have or what position you hold or your social or economic standpoint or status. And he begins to teach in Matthew chapter 5 what we know as the Beatitudes. Jesus begins his Sermon on the Mount, where a crowd of people, if you read a little behind this in, in chapter 4, it gives us a little bit of background of where Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. And it tells us in, in chapter 23 that Jesus had gone or was going throughout all of Galilee and he was teaching in the synagogues the good news of the kingdom. And so he goes throughout all of Galilee and he's teaching. And he comes to this hillside, this mountainside, and he begins to walk up this mountain. Depending on who you read, who you study, some say he stopped halfway, some say he was at the very top, some say he didn't go but just a few steps. Maybe perhaps like this, just so he could look down. But crowds of people gathered around and he began to teach. He began to teach them. An interesting thing is all that he is teaching and, and what we see in the Sermon on the Mount, he starts with blessings. He starts with blessings. And here's what he says. We're going to look over the next couple of weeks at these blessings that he mentions. And we're going to take two a week. And we're going to look at them over the next couple of weeks. But in verse 3, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they are comforted. Let's pray together. God, we thank You so much for today. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the opportunity, Lord, that we have to study Your Word. 
God, and I pray that we would allow your word to penetrate our lives in such a way, God, that it encourages. God, in the same light that it convicts. Father, help us, not just as we're entering into a holiday season, but God, even in the days, weeks, and years beyond that, God, help us to view this blessedness that you're talking about, this blessedness that you're teaching us about, God. Help us to view it in the same light in which you taught it and in which you intended it. So, Father, I pray that it be nothing that I would say today, but God, that your words, your spirit, that it would fill this place, that it would speak to our hearts, God. That God would bring honor and glory to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we've reached this place of what we know as the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus begins as He singled out a group of people who we would least suspect to be blessed or to see as blessed people. You see, these people that followed Jesus, these people that sat at His feet and listened to His teachings, they were the poor. They were the meek. They were the ones that were thirsting for righteousness. And so they were following Jesus. One commentator even said this. He said they they were the people that were spiritually earnest but destitute. They were the spiritually needy ones. Or as Jesus puts it in verse 3, they were the ones that were poor in spirit. They were the ones that considered themselves fully dependent upon God. They were the ones who weren't able to be self-sufficient. The ones that we might look at and go, well, they were the ones that didn't have it all together. They didn't have their lives under control. We would look at them and think, those are the people. Boy, we do that today, don't we? We stereotype today. We classify people today based on the way they look, based on the job they hold, based on the vehicle they drive, based on the place they live in, based on the food they have or the food they eat. The Beatitudes at its core are a description of people who recognize that they're needy. They're dependent. They're vulnerable. They're like little children. Jesus said in Matthew chapter three, or chapter 5, verse 3, He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What was Jesus talking about as He opened up His message, His sermon on the mount? What was He talking about when He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was talking about salvation. That's what Jesus was talking about when He said, Blessed are those that are poor in spirit. Why? Because the blessed ones, the blessed people, are the ones that recognize they're spiritually bankrupt. They recognize their desperate need for a holy and righteous God. 
And so they recognize they're spiritually bankrupt. And that there's nothing that they can do within themselves to gain or earn salvation or a right relationship with God. They're spiritually bankrupt. And those are the ones that are poor in spirit. You see, Jesus came into a time of Judaism where Judaism dominated and was being taught. And you see that the Pharisees believed their religion was a works-based religion. That's what the Pharisees believed. That you worked for your salvation. And what did Jesus do? Jesus came in and told them the exact opposite. You see, the Pharisees believed that those who gained favor with God were those that had a ton of money. Those that had the, 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 the big positions or held higher positions. Those were the ones that were blessed. That's what the Pharisees believed because they were those people. They were the ones that considered themselves blessed because they had everything that they thought they ever needed. They were knowledgeable. They are spiritually, they were knowledgeable. They were spiritually rich. And they thought they saw things spiritually clear. But then guess what? Jesus arrives on the scene. Jesus arrives on the scene and He begins to teach something which is the exact opposite of what had been taught. Do you know people like that? Maybe you were one of those people. That your entire life you had been taught one thing. Maybe by parents or by someone that you thought you looked up to. Maybe by what you thought was a mentor. And then Jesus comes into your life. And He begins to teach truth. You see, that's what Jesus is doing to a group of people who had been taught one thing one way their entire lives. And He begins to teach them on this, this idea of those that are poor in spirit are the ones that inherit the kingdom. Those that are poor in spirit are the ones that inherit the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus begins to challenge them. He challenges their value system their core values, their moral values. He begins to challenge all of those things. That, that their significance, we talked about significance in here, that their significance doesn't rest on what they own or what they possess. In fact, their significance has nothing to do with any of that. But, he says, if you'll humble yourself, what he's saying is if you'll humble yourself and you'll recognize your desperate need for me in your life, that is where your significance is found. It's all it takes. It's all it takes. I read one commentary and, and it said this. The commentator, as he was writing, as he studied, he, he said this. He said, if, if we were to take, if we were to read verse 3 and we were to go, Blessed are the poor in spirit... If we were to take that and change one word out of that and insert the word humble instead of poor, it changes your perspective on how you read this verse. So you simply say, Blessed are the humble in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are the humble in spirit. That, that's all Jesus is saying is those that will humble themselves. Those that, that will, will quit looking in the mirror. How many of you looked in the mirror this morning? How many of you liked looking in the mirror this morning, right? But how many of us look in the mirror and what do we see? We see ourselves. Michael raised his hand and said he liked looking in the mirror. How many of us like looking in the mirror and, and what we see, well, we see ourselves. We see ourselves, right? And a lot of times we don't like what we see. And then there are times where we do like what we see, right? But Jesus is simply saying that when you look in the mirror, you need to humble yourself. You need to humble yourself and recognize your desperate need for salvation. Your desperate need for me in your life. Because when you look in the mirror and you see yourself, you know what you see? You know what I see? You know what Jesus sees? He sees sin. He sees a sinful nature that is separated from God because of that sinful nature. And without Jesus bridging that gap, you know what it means? It means there is no life, there is no joy, there is no peace. You're hell bound. And so, what would our lives look like if every day we looked in the mirror and we saw a direct reflection of Jesus in our life? How different would our lives be? See, that, that's what He's teaching. But Jesus does this so much better than I do because He can say it in one sentence. It takes me 30 minutes to get that point across. But he says this in one sentence. Listen, if you, if you want to be blessed, you've got to be poor in spirit. In other words, you've got to humble yourself. You've got to humble yourself. Listen, I, I get the opportunity, uh, th this basketball season, I, I'm speaking to the men's basketball team at Southern Wesleyan. Every Monday at 5 o'clock, I'll be speaking to the basketball team. and I, I shared a little bit of this with them Monday night. They had just come off a bad defeat, just... It was one of those things they shouldn't have lost, but they did, and they lost by a point in the last seconds. And I told them, I said, guys, this is, you know, you're, you're playing big-time college basketball now. You're a Division II school. You're going to be playing tough competition. And, and you've got to realize that it's, it's not about you. It's not about you. You can't be an individual out on that court. It takes five of you out on the court to be successful. And then yesterday they were playing in a tournament. It was uh, at UNC Pembroke. And they played Friday and they played yesterday. And yesterday they got beat like 84 to 39 or something. And i got to go in and speak to them tomorrow. And I'm going, what in the world am I going to talk to them about? How do, you, how do you tell somebody that just came off defeat like that that you're blessed? You get what I'm saying? How, how do you tell somebody... That, that just suffered a devastating loss in, with their family, or maybe personally, individually, you just suffered a devastating loss, how, how do you express the fact that even in that defeat, even in that, that struggle, even in that trial in your life, you're blessed? You know what? That song just said it all. That song just said it all. There's a verse of Scripture in, in Psalm I was going to share it later, but I'm going to share it right now. Psalm 126, 5 says, Those who sow with tears reap with songs of joy. Boy, that's perspective right there, isn't it? 
That's perspective right there. I, I, we're going to be challenging the, the youth here in the next month or two. Last year we did a, a one-word challenge on our retreat and, and they took a, a piece of canvas and they wrote their, they painted their one word and that one word was going to, to challenge them an entire year for the entire year of 2014. Our word as a family was dedicated. I, I believe my word this year is going to be perspective. Perspective. That I have that perspective from Christ. That I look at things in His light. That I view my life, that I view my trials and struggles that I deal with through His perspective. Because I'm telling you, when you begin to view your life through His perspective, you begin to view what it means to be blessed through His perspective, boy, that puts a whole new light on things. That puts a whole new light on things. Because he's telling me right here that I'm, I'm, I'm not poor economically or socially. I'm poor personally. Like fleshly, I'm poor. And I need to rely on him. I need to humble myself and quit looking at myself thinking that I've arrived. Thinking that I know it all because I don't. I make dumb decisions. I fall often. And I need to recognize my desperate need for a holy and righteous God. And he tells this group of people that have been told all their life that if you don't reach this status in your life, economically, socially, you'll never be blessed. And he tells them, you know what? You don't have to do any of that. All you have to do is humble yourself. Who cares how much money you make? Who cares what kind of position in the church or in business that you hold? Who cares how many material things you possess? That does not matter. What simply matters is that you, personally, you, individually, humble yourself. And if you'll humble yourself, you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed and you'll inherit the kingdom of heaven. In studying this, I, I did notice, I couldn't help but to think about the rich young ruler. And in Scripture, later on in Matthew, you've got a story of the rich young ruler, and here's what it says, but when the young man heard this statement, he asked Jesus, what can I do, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, he, and, and as Jesus, as the man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Jesus told him, you want to inherit the kingdom of God, go sell everything that you have. And when he heard that statement, the Bible says that he grieved. And he went away grieving because he owned a ton of property. And Jesus said this to his disciples, listen to this. He said, truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Wow. Want to be blessed? Want to be blessed? We've got to humble ourselves. We've got to humble ourselves. Those who are willing to acknowledge their spiritual poverty are in the best position to experience God's blessing and enjoy His kingdom. Matthew 5 verse 4 says this, Blessed are those who mourn, for they 
will be comforted. Does he start this statement off? The second blessing, does he start it off by saying those who are merry? No. Those who are happy? Doesn't. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I, I thought about this all week. It has forever baffled me how proclaiming Christians, when you see them around, out and about, man, they look like a bunch of Scrooges. They look like they've just eaten beef liver. They're just not happy. They're just mopey all the time. And nothing seems to please them. Nothing seems to make them happy. Nothing puts a smile on their face. Why is that? Why, why, do you, why do some Christians live a life like that? That, that nothing seems to make them happy? There's not one person in this building that, that has seen what I've seen, that has witnessed what I've witnessed, and it didn't put a smile on your face. At some point in time this morning, there should have been a smile on your face. I just wanted to interject that. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. It's not the type of mourning that He's talking about. In fact, it's the exact opposite. You see, God's called us to a life of repentance. And in that life of repentance, we should mourn over our sin nature. We should mourn over our sin nature and the sin nature of others. That's the, that's the life of repentance that God has called us to. That's the mourning that He's talking about here. That, that we, should be, we should be broken. We should be brought to our knees every single day because of our sin nature and our desperate need for Christ in our life. So should we be brought to our knees every single day because of those in our lives that we know, those people that we love, that do not know Christ, but they're stuck in sin. And daily, we should be on our knees praying for them. Daily, we should mourn for their salvation. We should cry out to God, begging God for their salvation, that they would one day recognize their sin nature. Listen, I pray that over my boys every single night. That one day, I tell our youth every week, I don't want you to believe something simply because I'm telling you you need to believe it. I certainly don't want my boys to come to know Christ because I forced them to. But I pray every single day, God, I pray one day when the time is right, one day that they'll recognize their sins and they'll recognize their desperate need for a holy and righteous God. And accept Jesus. Hey, this Thanksgiving, what greater gift, what greater gift can we give than the gift of salvation?
that we help people. Listen, you want a conversation starter for Thanksgiving? Those awkward Thanksgiving dinners? Those awkward family members? Hey, carry them to Matthew chapter 5. And begin to walk them through. Hey, this is why we need to be poor in spirit. And this is why we need to mourn. I took Graham yesterday. We had a big event, FCA event at Clemson, and it's, it's called Rally in, the Va- Rally in the Valley. And we had over 1,600 students in Little John yesterday before the Clemson game. And I took Graham. This is the first, first Clemson game he's ever been to. And we showed a video of Coach Sweeney, uh, or one of Coach Sweeney's videos on his website. And, and it's about their practice times. And then it goes through a series of their practices at, at 5.15 a.m., 6.15 a.m., 5.45 a.m. All of them are super early in the morning. And these guys are out there just busting it. I mean, just getting after it. At the very end, big words pop up on the screen. And it says, you don't get this. And it shows Death Valley game day without this. And it shows them practicing at 5.15, 6.15 Listen, we want people to come to know Christ. We want God's blessings here on this church, in this church. What are we willing to do to invite God's blessings on this place? You see, we can't just show up. We can't just show up and expect it. We've got to be on our knees begging God for His blessings. Begging God to show us that we're poor in spirit, that we need to be poor in spirit. Showing us that we need to mourn over our sin nature and the sin nature of others. That's what Jesus is teaching in Matthew chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says this, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Listen, as we enter into this time of thanksgiving, this thanksgiving season, You're going to have a lot of time to spend with family. Some of you are going to have time off. Some aren't. Listen, let's be thankful. Let's be thankful because we have a better understanding of what it means to be blessed. We're not blessed because of possessions. We're not blessed because of material things. We're not blessed because we get to go to a turkey dinner and eat all the turkey and whatever else you want to eat with it. We're not blessed because of that. All of that could be a direct result of understanding that we're blessed because God, seeing our sinful nature, thought better of us in sending His Son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that we could understand and truly know what blessed is. And that is, we humble ourselves before a holy and righteous God, knowing, understanding that there's nothing good about us. There's absolutely nothing good about us. So when you look in the mirror, you know what? There's nothing good. The difference is, when Jesus comes into your life and you look in the mirror and you see a reflection of Jesus. That's the difference. That's the difference. Before I share the gospel and give an invitation, 
want to end with a little side note with Thanksgiving coming up both sides of my family are very very interesting I'm not going to go into detail they're very 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 interesting and so I just thought you know this Thanksgiving what what are five ways that you could ruin Thanksgiving what are just five ways that you could ruin absolutely just ruin Thanksgiving and Sandra and I love uh, Chevy Chase the Christmas movie and I know that has nothing to do with Thanksgiving but it's close enough they're already playing Christmas music so it doesn't matter but I thought man what if Cousin Eddie was in your family what if Cousin Eddie was in your family you probably have a Cousin Eddie in your family you might have multiple Cousin Eddies but I just thought you know, these are five ways to ruin Thanksgiving. Number five, by inviting Cousin, Cousin Eddie over for Thanksgiving dinner. Number four, by inviting Cousin Eddie to help prepare Thanksgiving dinner. Number three, by inviting Cousin Eddie to stuff the bird. Number two, by inviting Cousin Eddie to deep fry the bird. Boy, that'd be fun. Number one, and I inserted a little Christmas story into this too. I like that movie. Having to eat duck on Thanksgiving night because you invited Cousin Eddie over. That'd ruin Thanksgiving, wouldn't it? Listen, we're able to enjoy Thanksgiving. We're able to enjoy the fellowship of family and friends and celebrate Thanksgiving. But what are you most thankful for? What are you most thankful for today? This Thanksgiving season, what are you most thankful for? Are you thankful for your salvation? I pray that you are. I hope that you are. There might be somebody here this morning doesn't have salvation, doesn't know what salvation is. But this morning, maybe God brought to light that you needed to recognize your sin nature and you needed to recognize your desperate need for Christ. And I just simply want to invite you this morning to make that decision. The single greatest decision that you could ever make in your entire life could be right now. Because we're not promised tomorrow. We might not even make it to Thursday. But I'm telling you, life without Jesus is no life at all. It is no life at all. There is no peace. There is no joy. And you might have been fed all of your life a false religion, just like these people that were following Jesus. And Jesus comes in and He simply begins to transform their minds and telling them this is what it's really like. And I'm telling you this morning, knowing Jesus is all you need. Does it mean you've got to get up, you've got to come down, you've got to say a prayer? I'm not saying that. You can do it right there in your seat. But the single most important decision you'll ever make in your entire life is what are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to accept Him? Or are you going to deny Him? Because by not accepting, you're denying. You're simply denying by not accepting. So this morning, I want to ask you, What are you doing with Jesus? Have you accepted Him?
And I want to invite you to do that this morning if you've never done that. I'm going to ask Mark and our team to come up and begin to play. I love you. I love you. Pray that you have a great Thanksgiving. But this morning, let's not put the cart before the horse. Get it right if you need to get it right this morning. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge that lies within it. God, thank you for a better, more clear understanding of what it means, God, to know you. And God, be blessed by you. We know that true blessing, ultimate blessing comes from humbling ourselves, God. So I pray right now that you'd fill this altar. You'd fill this altar, God, with humbled people that simply want to experience your blessings. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.